Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, everybody. This is Joe Lynch with the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have somebody who's going to give us some great insights today, John Galope. And John's going to talk to us today about accelerating time to value for 3PLs. Welcome, John. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Joe. John, before we get into it too, uh, too deeply, tell us a little bit about your background and where you work at. Sure. So by way of background, I actually started my career working in the supply chain for the Walt Disney Company. Uh, this was a number of years ago. And, and back in the day, we often used to say, if I'm ever going to start a software company, I'm going to find the largest Excel spreadsheet that goes to the most people and figure out a way to automate it. And uh, as you know, firsthand within logistics and transportation, it's such a heavy Excel and email dependent industry that there's a ample opportunity to help innovate. And that's what I've been doing for the last seven years. So I started Winmore Software back in, in 2013, originally with the goal of, of answering one key question, which is why is it so hard for contract logistics firms, freight forwarders, freight brokerages, and carriers to use traditional CRM software? And out of that, we've developed the company to focus on the opportunities before the sales process, uh, most notably the RFP and tender cycle that is a very complex collaborative workflow. And with the announcement last week, now after the sale with the onboarding process, which especially in contract logistics and, and freight forwarding and with, uh, with carriers as well and more complex logistics services, a very difficult area to automate in traditional CRM. So we're very excited with this announcement and obviously very pleased with our partnerships with industry leaders to help bring it to market. That's awesome. That's awesome. I always like to simplify things. One of the challenges that I think you're, you guys fix, which I love, is this whole problem with a whole bunch of emails and then also spreadsheets that are attached to those emails. Probably six months ago at a big supply chain company, big manufacturer, a vice president said, how long are we going to keep putting up with all this email? And what he was getting at is there was always these outside agreements outside the ERP, outside the TMS. And when somebody would say, hey, is this number right? Oh, I don't know. There might have been an email outside the system. And you have these great systems that we're developing, but then somehow, some way, we have all this information outside it. And I think you guys are starting to solve some of these problems. We're really pleased with the response uh, from the market of our products. And, and I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. If you think about a commercial operations team, there's a group that helps get the customers and shippers there's a group that sells to them, and then there's an operational group that brings them live and delivers those solutions. And so if yep. you think about the stage before the opportunity is won, that's a usually an RFP or, or tender process that's incredibly complex, and it's next to impossible to take a 100-row set of OD pairs or a 1,000-row set of port pairs and trade lanes and, and try to manage that in a very simple CRM software. So uh, we've carved out the space before the sale with our RFP and tender collaboration, which, again, given the complexity of data, the need for teams to work together, and what you just described as this importance to have very contextual collaboration. In other words, comments that ordinarily would be used in, in email, but put those all in one place. And that's really what we've offered with our bid and tender solution. And increasingly now, after the deal is closed, right, after the sales force or the dynamics process is finished up, we're now managing the onboarding 
of those large complex projects, which is another area ripe for innovation. But it's, uh, yeah. it's interesting you bring that up. It's not surprising for us to see a significant reduction in email. In fact, we were out at uh, one major customer of ours outside Minneapolis, and they cited a 7,000 email reduction in one year alone by using our software just for the RFP and tender process. So, again, 7,000 fewer emails is, uh, is probably 14,000 people spending less time reading and writing them, which is a direct impact on the overall operations of the business. Yep. So, again, today's topic, accelerating the time to value for 3PLs. What exactly are you talking about there, John? What value are we talking about and what time are we talking about? Yeah, we're specifically talking about the large implementations that carriers, freight forwarders, and and contract logistics teams focus on to, to deliver value to their customers. So if you think about, for example, when a retailer or a CPG company outsources a a major logistics contract to a third party, right? With that, inevitably, 3PL is connecting literally dozens of of systems, right? Not only from the shipper, but also the shipper's partners, right? These are the the carriers that the shipper works with. These are the warehouse operators that the shipper works with. These are, in many cases, the uh, customs clearance agents that the shippers work with. So this is an incredible network of connectivity and connection points that are required and bringing on board a large customer, uh, often in the CPG or, or retail space. So think about, for example, when uh, Home Depot is opening up a new distribution center or Nike decides to go into the business of offering wearables, right? All of those trigger these large, very complex integrations that involve hundreds of people doing dozens of roles on both sides of the organization. So when that occurs, there's a huge dependence on a smooth handoff of data from the solution design team the ones that scoped out the project, put the requirements together, and really helped make sure that the solution that was being delivered to the customer was, in fact, differentiated and, in fact, a service that they could deliver and hit certain margin targets. So we've been focused on making sure that that handoff of data from the solution design team, often to the RFP or tender process that we know so well, happens smoothly and that data doesn't fall through the cracks and so that the group can really have one continuous flow of all the information from the original RFP intended response to the solution design stage to the delivery and ensure that the time that's spent delivering the solution happens on schedule, if not sooner, the 3PL can achieve its expected operating margins and more importantly, the end customer can, right? Because in many cases, that end customer, the retailer or CPG company is planning on making some staff changes or driving some operational efficiencies. So the sooner the customer's customer, or in this case, the 3PL's customer, can actually move forward with some of those cost reduction plans is the more value they can provide. So it's really a win-win in the industry when you stop and think about it. And as you can imagine, the risk of scope creep are, are indeed uh, very, very prominent and all too common in this space. Yep. Given speeches at different conferences in the past on how to select a 3PL. And the first, oh, probably five, six years ago, I did it at ISM. and maybe seven years ago. And when I did, I didn't talk about implementation. So when you select a 3PL, I was like, okay, that's that's after me. Now, one of the first things when I talk to people about selecting a 3PL, I say, talk to them right now about how they would implement you. And if they don't have like a, a good model, a good a good plan, and they don't want to assign heads to it, I wouldn't work with them because just the, what you described there, there's so many moving pieces now in these implementations that they're really, there's a million things that can go wrong. And speaking of which, before we get off track, on, tell me about 
some of the consequences for screwing that up? It's a big risk. So what causes first the screw up, right? It's a challenge with the handoff of data from the solution design and RFP team, which is a, a huge area, just to your point, right? Because oftentimes at the 3PL side, the, the, the roles change, right? You go from working with the commercial team and the pricing team through solution design to now the operational team and solution delivery. But there's also changes on the, the customer side, right? You may have been working closely with procurement, but now you're working with the supply chain group, for example, and different individuals within each of those work groups and teams as well. So number one, root cause of this is, is ensuring that smooth data handoff as the roles and faces change on both sides of the table. And then the second issue is scope creep, right? And, and we all know the challenges of scope creep, right? When additional partners are brought into the fold and the customers, suppliers and service providers and other partners are brought in, you obviously encounter a bunch of other unexpected surprises, right? It's like buying a new house and realizing you've got a problem with the foundation, right? The same sort of issues hold true with these very large, complex issues. So managing that scope creep, whether that comes from internal issues of a misunderstanding or external issues from onboarding, you know, some of the customers, third parties, or the fact they're not even responsive to begin with, is a huge factor in hitting that target date and ensuring that the value is provided. So what are the consequences to, to your question specifically? Well, right out of the gate, you take a huge hit in customer satisfaction, and so these days, you cannot open a investor report or read a website or read a CEO blog from any of the major logistics companies without hearing about an overarching commitment to customer success, right? About delighting customers, about focused on selling more services, cross-selling across the organization to the same accounts. Yet in recent Penn State study, for example, from just last year, looked at this issue and said, what happens when information is not exchanged as evenly and smoothly as it should? And almost two-thirds of shippers, two-thirds of the customers could cite examples of a concrete and measurable decline in customer satisfaction as a result of this uh, failure to share information and a failure to manage scope creep. In a third of those cases, actually, uh, the, the shipper made the decision to not renew the contract, right, which was, which was shocking. And in 25% of the cases, you saw late payments until the services were addressed. You saw negative word of mouth. And uh, ultimately, what was considered a, a violation of the contract that required some level of remediation. So the tolls couldn't be higher. Certainly, shippers' expectations are, are growing when they're you know, prepared to write the, the size checks for some of these projects. You know, they're expecting their, their service providers and their, their 3PLs to deliver in the timelines and the services that they've agreed to, without exception. Yep. Yeah, John, if I could uh, add something to that. When I used to sell 3PL services, and when I now I advise people on selling 3PL services, and I also advise some shippers, I always talk about managing those expectations up front. Because in my experience, when when you get, let's just say you're the 3PL and you win some new business, and there's always going to be people who didn't want you to get it. They wanted to keep the incumbent or they wanted your competition to win that business. And as soon as you have a screw up, when you were supposed to launch July 1st, and now it looks like it's September 1st, now everyone who is a naysayer in the system goes, I told you so. Those guys suck. I knew we shouldn't have worked with them. And anybody who was um, committed to you, anyone who was putting their neck out, now is saying, I can't trust those guys. You've started the relationship off as a bum. <laughs> It's so true. And I, I think we all know those uh, organizational headwinds, right? They, they happen all too often. And you certainly deal with that on the cultural side. But also, let's not forget about the pressure that so many commercial leaders face from their counterparts in finance, 
right, that, that, are, that are now increasingly being held accountable to private equity owners, where there's just zero tolerance for delays that impact, you know, operating margin commitments. Also, if you were supposed to save money for the customer and they said, hey, we expect, you know, we're going to bring these guys on and they're going to save us a million dollars a month starting June 1st, and that money already gets spent somewhere else, right? If you don't get it launched until, again, September 1, you're the GOAT, and I don't mean the greatest. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but the flip side of that is what happens if you can actually bring that customer live sooner, right? And so just to give you a little bit of context, Joe, we've been building this configuration with two of the largest LSPs in the world, brand names that we all know and, and, and recognize. They've been our development partners. They're in production today with our new customer solution onboarding with literally thousands of logistics professionals around the world logging in and managing these large implementations. And in one case, the customer had a, a very noticeable high-profile blow-up, and uh, that led to their evaluation of, of Winmore and decision to move forward. And I think the procurement order internally stated a 12-to-1 return on their investment in the Winmore software for this onboarding process. So what I'd like to do is maybe I can give you an example about yeah, please how, do. Yeah, how these numbers work out. So, so back of the envelope, imagine just very simply that we're an LSP and good news, we've won a major contract for say $100 million, right? So we're going to charge- a, That's a big our, deal. <laughs> yeah, this is a really big deal. You know, we're doing the right things here. We're going to uh, set up the internal systems to support them. We're going to lease the warehousing. We're going to line up the transportation and for all intents and purposes, make this project a success. And so again, we're going to bill the, the customer $100 million for that. And just say, for example, that for this particular account, just on the initial transaction of bringing them live, we're expecting to hit 15 points of margin. So on the $100 million, they're going to take home about $15 million. And exactly to your point, the customer is going to do some cost cutting on their side, right? As soon as we go live at the end of month four, that customer is going to implement some cost savings that should cut about $500,000 a month out of the equation. So if you think about 12 months in a year, right, we're going to deliver it after four months, which means the customer will have eight months of savings or about $4 million that they can recognize by us hitting this goal and delivering on time. Well, now just imagine for a second that four months drifts into five, right? Scope creep occurs, right? What's the root cause? The information wasn't handed off from the RFP and tender and solution design and commercial team smoothly. The headcounts and, and roles changed. There wasn't a single place to go to to see the full history of the solutions to understand why certain services were included, why certain services were priced the way they were, where the objections were internally. And then even worse, as we started the implementation, we found out that some of the partners involved in the system implementation weren't available, right? They hadn't been consulted with during the process. There was no audit trail or no sense of, uh, of checks and balances. They weren't brought to the table as part of that process. And of course, there was no remediation workflow as part of the implementation. So this thing was set up for a disaster. So four months turns into five months. Well, what happens? Well, immediately your staffing costs increase uh, because of the nature of the, uh, the additional time. And so your margin's gone from 15 million to 5 million. So you've already taken about a 33% cut just in your profit margin on the deal. More importantly, though, let's not forget about your customer who is expecting to save eight months of OPEX gains uh, through the service you're provided. So now they're only getting seven months of that. So they've had a 500K hit on their side. So you can start to seeing how, you know, the impact of 10 million in profits and another 500K on the customer side can be directly impacted by failing to manage this process 
as smoothly as it could. Right. And reputation costs on both sides, both the shipper and the, you know, they're internally, they have to answer to their management. Everybody's taking a hit. And the 3PL now knows they're hanging on by a thread. And I'll tell you what happens with 3PLs that are kind of, I shouldn't say hanging on by a thread, but they've they've already failed, right? They don't want to have that second and third strike. So they're not even as forthcoming. That's been my experience. When you have a bad launch, everybody gets tight. Yeah, <laughs> for no, good no, reason. You're, you're absolutely right. And what's that expression that success has a thousand parents, but failure is an orphan, right? Yep. yep. So, so let's talk about, though, what happens when things go right. And, and this is a scenario that we're really excited about by bringing the software to market. So, again, for the purposes of the same example... Now let's envision that same situation playing out with Winmore software, not only in the RFP and solution design process before the sale, but afterwards in the implementation and customer onboarding. Remember we talked about a $100 million project that would go live in four months? Yep. Now let's take for a moment and assume that we're actually able to bring them live in three months instead of four. What does that do to this equation? Well, immediately now your staffing costs have gone down because, of course, you've been able to bring them live sooner. So your margin has gone from 15 million to 26 million, which is about a 73% increase on this project alone. And keep in mind, too, then, that your customer is also then able to move forward in their own OPEX programs sooner than they anticipated. So they can recognize another 500K sooner or 11% increase in the first year alone. So that's the type of impact that, that a solution like this can deliver to market by really accelerating that time to value, increasing margins upwards of 73% for the logistic service provider, and a 10% increase on the OPEX gains for their customer. That's a win-win that, in our opinion, is an unrivaled value prop to help bring this product to market, which, again, we're so pleased to have uh, partnered with some of the industry-leading LSPs in the market, as well as some of the specific contract logistics companies, including one down in Texas that's the market leader in spare parts, logistics, and warehousing. So, again, a great value opportunity to, yep. uh, to help not only the LSP, but also their customers. And what a great way to start a relationship, you know, where you say, hey, remember when we started and I gave you that extra half a million or you go back within the 3PL and say, remember the last launch I had? Remember how we brought it in a month early? One other thing, John, and maybe you could touch on this. We didn't talk too much about this while we were prepping. I like the idea that when you have software, it's kind of like process in a box. So I can start to deliver my implementations and my integrations to the same process every time. And I imagine you just get better and better and better. So if it's I'm on my third or fourth launch with Winmore, I'm going to be significantly better than when I started. You're absolutely right. And there's no secret that, you know, Six Sigma, Black Belts, love our product. It's no secret that professionals committed to continuous improvement love our product. It's no question that engineers and process managers that are really trying to build an an agile, collaborative environment love our product. So a big part of what we're doing with this new application and, again, software that we're building in tandem with some of the industry leaders is to really help operations executives and operations managers have just a heightened level of visibility into that onboarding process, right? So that they can really make sure that the tasks are assigned evenly and smoothly across the organization, that there's a heightened level of accountability, and that every resource is effectively on task to deliver the services and the timeframe and commitment that's required. And a big part of that, of course, is thinking about things like, okay, well, what's our registry for, for registering risk, right? How are we going through the process? And every time there's a risk factor, writing that down and, and recording that for the purposes of, of improving our operations. And so if you think about the Six Sigma uh, frameworks that are so common today around defining and measuring, analyzing, improving, and controlling, 
that framework works extremely well into our approach to the customer solution onboarding problem, right? We help define the process. We measure the results for every task along the way. We help analyze through our ability to apply insights and business intelligence, ultimately take steps to improve the process and ultimately control the outcomes. And again, real world example of a product in a configuration you could use day one that supports a lot of those key continuous improvement processes that have a direct impact on the overall success of the business. I always love processes that are enabled by a system. Because if I say, John, follow this process, Joe, follow this process, we might freelance a little bit. We might, we might cut some corners, right? But if I have to say, John, you must use this system, Joe, you must use this system, we're going to be consistent. And it's going to allow you to bring on people a lot faster. So far with implementations, integrations on 3PLs, it seems as if each one is a little different. And each one the process is influenced by the individuals. And ideally, you say, we've got a process that is best practice, and we're going to do it over and over again and improve it in a very structured approach like you described. You're absolutely right, Joe. And and one of the examples that came to me from a recent customer meeting, right? And here in in Silicon Valley and increasingly in a lot of marketing functions, you hear a lot about A-B testing, right? A-B testing refers to the way in which, you know, for the most part, the user design of, of websites is tested to see what determines you know the highest outcome. And I think this started back about 20 years ago when Google launched. They did all these A-B tests on the shades of blue and red in the Google logo, which meant basically if a million people logged onto the Google uh, search engine, those million people would see very different versions of blue. And the team at Google would analyze the blues to determine which color scheme had the highest likelihood of people clicking through. And so that's an example that now people do a bunch of A-B testing in their websites. They'll try out one site that uses one word and another uh, website that uses another word. And they study and monitor the results of those two different terms. We can basically apply that framework of A-B testing now to operational processes. So think about that, for example. Say, for instance, you have a certain way of, of managing risk remediation workflows, right? Why not get five people following one process, another five doing it in another way? And then after 30 days or 45 days, compare the results of both of those workflows, again, applying that framework around define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. They're all tracked, monitored, and and study the data and win more and make the determination between which of those two processes led to the overall success, not only of that workflow, but also of the downstream dependent workflows. That's a real example where that organizational agility can come in to play a major role in how chief operating officers and directors of operations think about continuous improvement for their businesses. Yeah. You mentioned the risk registry that you guys have. I'll tell you, one of the big risks you always have is when you switch 3PLs. So I advise uh, different people on, you know, selecting 3PLs. And I always say my default position is let's try and fix the 3PL you have because there's always risk when you move. When you know that there's that risk, it's nice to be able to go to all the operational experts that you're they're selling to and say, hey guys, we have a pretty low risk way of bringing you on. I think it's a really nice sales feature to print to the shipper. I mean, as opposed to saying, yeah, we're going to wing it as usual. <laughs> it's really true because I think these days, at least every uh, operational leader is looking for a way to differentiate their services, right? To gain a competitive edge, to outmaneuver the competition. And uh, certainly an angle like this through this organizational agility through this emphasis and continuous improvement and process automation that helps smooth the handoff from the solutions team 
over to the operational team and then helps reduce the risk of scope creep in the actual implementations can be a major driver and a major impact in their business. Yeah, and I always say there's a sometimes a little bit of a mismatch when you have sales guys at the 3PL and you have operations guys that you're selling to. You guys with the sales hat on have to uh, adapt your communication and your processes to ops guys. Ops guys don't like things uh, that are out of order. <laughs> they don't like it when you uh, wing it, as I mentioned. Exactly. For good reason. For good reason. Yeah. So, John, this has been great. So, Please summarize the problem that we talked about and some of the consequences of that problem, and then summarize the solution that you guys provide over at Winmore. Sure. So the problem really comes down to the risk involved in, in onboarding complex customer implementations. There's a risk that the information is not handed off smoothly from the RFP and solution design process. There's a risk of scope creep resulting from technology partners, service provider partners, the the dozens, if not hundreds of collaborators that have to participate in the onboarding process and each of their own interdependencies. There's another risk in, in not having a disciplined and structured workflow to follow continuously from, from A to Z. So we address those distinct points in the customer onboarding process with our solution. Number one, we help bridge the handoff from the RFP commercial and tender team to ensure a seamless flow of data. Number two, we manage the uh, way in which stakeholders participate in the onboarding process to minimize scope creep. And then third, we provide the the framework and workflows to help address the issues through remediation and and registering risk in a timely fashion to, again, help ensure that the uh, delivery and commitments that are made to the customers are, in fact, delivered on time. So you put those three things together, you can ensure that you deliver on time with confidence potentially even deliver earlier to help improve your own gross margin and have a competitive edge in in the industry and in the market today. Not only for yourself, but ultimately downstream for your customers too. Fantastic. It's just what we need. I'll tell you, John, I've been through some bad implementations and the bigger the uh, implementation, the more money at stake, the more you need a solution like this one. I've worked on some smaller ones and even the smaller ones, the ones in the 50 and $60 million range, there's a lot of money lost while you're screwing up uh, and losing losing valuable time on the implementation. You're absolutely right. 10% of margin is 10% of margin, regardless if it's a $50 million pie or a $500 million one, right? And the reputation loss and the relationship damage is probably worth more than the margin. Yeah, no, it's a very good point. Spot on. John, tell us a little bit about what's going on over at Winmore, how we can connect with you, and uh, any upcoming events you guys might have. Yeah, sure. No, the great point. So, so first, we introduced our customer solution onboarding product. So if you have a chance, take a look at www.winmore.app. So again, winmore.app, which is not winmore.com, so keep an eye out for that, winmore.app. You'll find a bunch of really interesting resources. For example, there's a white paper on the DMAIC framework for Six Sigma. There's another white paper on uh, steps to take to reduce scope creep. There's certainly more detail, including some commentary from industry leaders like Bill Aldrich over at Allport Cargo Systems, for example. And then, of course, we have an ongoing webinar series. Our next one is scheduled for June 30th with the folks up at uh, the Transportation Marketing and Sales Association in Minneapolis, where we're going to be talking about the onboarding solution in more detail and uh, providing some real-world case studies as well. Excellent. John, I will put all those links into the show notes. You said DMAIC? Yeah, DMAIC is the main uh, Six Sigma 
framework that's used to help redefine and improve a lot of processes. So the white paper is focused on how that framework can apply to the onboarding process and in particular for the software layer that we handle so well. I've used the Six Sigma in the past when I was uh, still in automotive. And if you are a shipper and you have a big ops group, you're going to have guys who really want to work with a supplier who has that expertise, who has that mindset. Uh, You're absolutely right. All right, John. Thank you so much. Any final thoughts? No, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and so much appreciate all your support, Joe. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to my podcast. Continued support is very appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. Thanks again, Joe. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.